Once again, good morning. My name is Jeff, one of the elders here at the church. Uh, Last week, we began a new sermon series in the book of Jonah. So I would like to ask of you, if you would please go ahead and turn there in your Bibles uh, to that book, to the book of Jonah. Uh, You can actually turn to the first chapter. Now, if you're not sure exactly where the book of Jonah is, it's actually in the, uh, the later part of the Old Testament. It's right there sort of in the middle of the other minor prophets. Uh, If you're going to use one of the Bibles in front of you, it's page 726. Now, as you're paging there while you're looking for Jonah, if you happen to run into Daniel, you're almost there. Just keep going a few more pages, and if you hit something like Habakkuk, one of the other minor prophets, you're going to have to just page back a few. So uh, Jonah's a small book. It's usually only a few pages. That's why I'm sort of helping us out there. Now, last week I introduced this series by mentioning that this book is, in fact, a true story about an actual man named Jonah, and that this story reveals for us certain biblical spiritual truths, because this book isn't just this moral tale that teaches children how to obey their parents. Rather, this narrative educates us on, again, particular spiritual truths, while it takes us on a journey through Jonah's calling and stumbling. And the truth that is revealed for us in this book of Jonah over and over again is the glorious gift of God's grace. What's revealed in this narrative, in this story, is God's grace. Because this story honestly sings in so many different ways. It sings about Jesus who is our Christ. It sings about the gospel as it challenges us to accept his grace while at the same time living it out. And there's a difference there. So let's go ahead and read our passage for today. Uh, We're going to be preaching through chapter 1. Therefore, if you would please stand with me in reverence for God as I read his word aloud. This is Jonah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. This is what the word of the Lord says. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account the evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, or lay not in us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so grateful for your word that we can come and hear from you on a daily basis, but Lord, this 
narrative can be challenging. This story, as we try to digest all the things that are in here for us to understand about your son and about the gospel and how you approach us and how you care for us and really your grace. Lord, give us greater faith. Give us the understanding and the ability to see this and hear this as it is received from you. Lord, transform us in this time. Again, please give us greater faith and, and, and make us know you for who you are. We love you and we trust you. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, last week, what I didn't cover was what happened to Jonah once he got on the boat and they made their way out to sea. So I want to backtrack a bit. We covered a bunch last week, but we sort of did an intro and we left some of that for us today. So let's backtrack just a bit. Now, what we hopefully remember from those passages from 4, 5, and 6, those verses, what we hopefully remember was that Jonah had received a word of the Lord. And in that word, what he was to do was to go to Nineveh in order to declare God's message of grace to the very people that Jonah despised. But what transpired, instead of obediently going, just as God told him to do, Jonah fled, right? Jonah ran away, basically in the very opposite direction with the hope that he would be able to escape the presence of the Lord. You see, if you were to look at a map and you were to see where Jonah actually lived, in order to go to Nineveh, he would have to travel sort of northwest to Nineveh, about 500 miles. And it's not a, a short trip, relatively, as you look at some of the ways they traveled, but instead, Jonah chose to go down to a harbor town called Joppa and board a ship that was headed west, west, to a place called Tarshish, which was actually in Spain, which was actually 2,500 miles away across the Mediterranean that had very deep and dangerous waters. Now, we need to recognize that this wasn't just a pleasure cruise for Jonah, Right? This wasn't just he's going to sit back and relax, because at that time, the sea was known to be very deadly to the people who traveled on it. Yes, the mariners and the people who uh, used it for commerce, they traveled the sea all the time, but there just wasn't this kind of guarantee that they would return as we might expect today, because they were still developing the technologies and the innovations that we honestly forget about today, things we take for granted they were still having to deal with. So Jonah boards this ship, and as it gets out to sea, the Lord hurls this great wind at them, causing this great drama to play out, causing a, uh, this uh, great difficulty to come upon them. Now again, this trip across the Mediterranean was not these sailors' first rodeo. But as it blew, as it attacked, as it began to break up their ship, these hard and tested men got scared. They had, seen, they had seen storms before, but they became scared. So at first, what did they do? What they did was what they thought was wise, and they began to try and fix what they could on their own. Their first idea was to begin to cast off the cargo and the baggage that they were, that they were carrying. No doubt, after first rapidly evaluating what was of least and what was of most value to them personally. What are we actually going to hang on to? 
But when the ship continued, or when the, rather when uh, the ship continued in the direction of what seemed like it was going to inevitably capsize, the mariners, after trying all that they could think of, all they had left was to cry out. After they tried everything that they could think of themselves, all they had left to do was to cry out for help. Because just like everyone else, no matter who you are, when a person comes to their end, they will look for something of divine intervention. Every one of us, it doesn't matter who you are, when we come uh, to the end of who we are, we all look for divine intervention. Now, we may come up with some pretty strange ideas, some pretty odd ideas about what this world is like, but everyone will seek something outside of themselves. But where was Jonah in all of this? Where was Jonah when the storm was raging and the, and the men were trying to solve the problems? Well, this entire time, Jonah was sleeping down in the bottom of the boat. Now, I read multiple times in different commentaries as they tried to assess the fact that Jonah was asleep despite everything that was happening. They thought it was because he was temporarily comforted with this sort of worldly kind of peace because in that moment he thought that he had escaped the Lord's gaze. I don't buy that. I don't actually, I'm not actually convinced by that. Rather, I think that Jonah is asleep because his head and heart were feeling pressured by the guilt and shame as he was experiencing the weight of conviction. He slept because he felt as though that would be his last resort for escape. And this is quite common. It's common. Because we too, as we experience pain and suffering, and yes, even to the strain under conviction like Jonah, we might imagine that if we could just turn the world off by falling asleep, then we too might find relief from that omniscient gaze of the God of all righteousness. If we can just fall asleep and turn everything off, then we won't feel what we might feel when we're awake. But just as Jonah learned... God doesn't stop pursuing his people. God will not stop pursuing his people. And Jonah was jolted awake by that truth through the captain of the ship as he yelled, what are you doing? Sleeping? Now? Get up, arise, call out to your God or else we're all going to die. These sailors who knew the sea, who had faced many Many storms before rightly realized that something new was up. Something strange was happening, and they rightly determined that they needed to understand just what sort of divine intervention was taking place. So they decided, as seen in verse 7, to cast lots. Basically, just what you imagine, they, they rolled the dice, they cast lots. Now, this might seem a bit odd to us, but casting lots was actually quite common at that time. We even see it in the Bible every now and again. We see it in the Old Testament that people would cast lots for God's divine guidance in some particular decision. We see that in Exodus 28, 1 Samuel 10, Leviticus 16, Numbers 33, just to name a few. We even see it in the New Testament when they uh, were attempting to choose a new apostle and they ended up choosing Matthias, if you remember, in Acts. But the fact that they turned to this method tells us something. 
The fact that they turn to casting lots to this sort of uh, reality of chance shows us the reality about how most people view sin. These sailors who began to cast lots because they wanted to discover whose fault it was that all this was happening, but in the midst of doing that, they, they sincerely wanted to know, but in doing so, they were also deflecting their own guilt. Essentially, what they were saying collectively, they were agreeing together that something, someone had to be at fault, but it wasn't me. It's probably one of you, so let's figure that out. Again, this perfectly reveals a person's natural condition and attitudes toward their own sin. Oftentimes, as we watch someone, they'll profess, if not verbally, then they'll do it practically, that they may not do everything right, but overall, I'm a pretty good person, right? I may not do everything exactly right. I, uh, I, I may have certain faults. I may even sin on occasion, but it's really nothing bad enough to remove me from God's good graces, right? Practically what they're saying, or uh, really with no merit, what they're saying is basically they believe that they don't deserve God's condemnation and wrath. Which is why that sort of person, when something tragic happens, they get angry at God. When suffering comes into their life, they get angry with God rather than respond in a reverent, holy fear of Him. Because they don't know him. They don't understand him. Listen to what Jesus says about sin. John 8, 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Our sin does not like being exposed. In part, that's why we get angry. Our sin does not like being exposed, which is why, we need to be honest here, we hide it too. You and I, we hide our sin. But by example, as we look to this story of Jonah, as we try to understand this storm, by example, this mighty tempest that God brought about, this storm that he unleashed upon Jonah and this ship is to be a testimony to us that God will carry out his wrath on all sinfulness. God must be just in order to be good. He will carry out his wrath on all sinfulness. Think about, think about God's wrath over your own sin. Think about that for just a moment. Think about that reality that God will carry out his judgment. Is it okay for us to hide our sin? Now, as the, these sailors cast the lots, as they were the way to acquire divine guidance, they fell on Jonah. And immediately Jonah knew why. Suddenly then, a myriad of questions come his way, right? This is what we see in the text, verse 8. They say, tell us on whose account this evil has come, come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? How do you think that you would have responded? Better yet, how, do you, how are you going to respond to the conviction that the Holy Spirit has just placed on your heart as you thought about God's wrath over the sin in your life? 
Jonah knew that he had been found out. Jonah knew that he was exposed and now there was nowhere else to run. Look at verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. There's a story in Joshua in chapter 6 and 7 that tells of this Israelite who was part of the army. And this, uh, this Israelite was part of this great victory uh, in a battle at Jericho. But after that victory, he took some of what belonged to those people, even though the Lord commanded them to destroy everything as a way of divine judgment on those people. And then, because of his disobedience, Israel, in the very next battle, uh, acquired great losses. And Joshua then goes to the Lord and he asks, why? Why did this happen? This should have been an easy win. And God told Joshua, Israel has sinned. Showing us just how woven together the people of the church actually are. Because this sin that God was talking about was committed by one man, but it affected all of God's people. Eventually, Achan, who's the Israelite that I was just talking about, Achan was found out, not so coincidentally, by the casting of lots. So Joseph's next action was to call Achan to give glory to God by repenting of what he was hiding. You see, he had taken the things and he had hid them in his tents. And Achan's reply was that he coveted the cloak and the silver and the gold that he had saw, so he took them. Despite God's word, he took them. And then he confessed what is ultimately true as he said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God. He knew that what he had done ultimately was against the God of all creation. Achan then was punished. He and his whole family were put to death, showing us the seriousness of sin. Now, the story connects because Jonah likely knew this story. So Jonah likely was, had this story running through his mind as he confessed, which is why I think he was so forthright about who he was and what he was doing or why he was there. Verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the, the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, as we look at this story, these men were afraid. They were afraid of the storm. They rightly feared that they were going to lose their life. They were going to lose all their livelihood. But now, because of what they just learned, that Jonah belonged to and served the God of the Hebrews, now suddenly they were exceedingly afraid. Now, they weren't just scared. They were afraid. Now, these men... As we think about them, they likely had this fantastic knowledge of the world around them. Because of their occupation, they probably heard about this God of the Hebrews, this God who had the power to break down the strong and mighty Pharaoh in Egypt. This is the same God that parted the Red Sea to guide his people to safety, only to crash it down and drown the army that was pursuing them. This is the same God that took his own people out into the wilderness for 40 years in order to teach them that he is to be feared, but then lead them 
into Canaan to destroy all of those who inhabited that land because he was going to give that land to his people. They knew that the God of the Hebrews was to be feared. But Jonah also said that his God made the sea and the dry land, and that probably shocked them. He told them that his God made the sea and the dry land, because you see, most people at that time thought of God sort of territorially. There was the God of this thing, or there was the God of that place, so they thought that the Hebrew God lived in Israel. But these sailors lived on the sea, right? They, they traveled all over the countryside. The Hebrew God lived in Israel, but these sailors were suddenly aware by what Jonah confessed, as well as their recent experiences, that the God of the Hebrews was everywhere and that no one could escape the presence of the Lord. That is why they were exceedingly afraid. So what then? What are they to do then? At this point in the story, the storm has not relented. The trouble has been found out. Uh, the sin has been confessed, but the storm continues. This shows us that there's a difference between confession and repentance. Just knowing the problem is the beginning of repentance. So what now? What now could they do to appease the wrath of this God? Again, it was possible that the story of Achan was in the forefront of Jonah's mind, so Jonah tells them to sacrifice him. Cast me into the sea because he knew that he too had truly sinned against the Lord God. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will, be, will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more temptuous against them. Now this honestly is incredible that we get to see this part. I'm grateful for what is written down here. This is incredible because we get to see the nobility of these mariners. But it also reveals for us what is true about all mankind. Because every one of us, despite what we believe, whether we believe in the God of the Hebrews or uh, the reality that Jesus is that same God, Despite what we believe, we are all image bearers of the God of creation. Therefore, we reflect him in so many ways by simply existing under his common grace and natural law. The world and man is preserved by God through his common grace because he desires for a time to preserve this place for the sake of those who have yet to be saved. That is part of God's common grace. And we all display his natural law as we operate within this sort of inerrant knowledge that there is a right and wrong. We all feel it and we all sense it that there is this right and wrong. And these pagan sailors who just moments ago were praying to as many gods as they could think of likely had never read God's law. They had never heard God's prophets, but they just knew that it would have been wrong to kill a human life unnecessarily. 
Now, in believing that, they did still, once again, try to manage the moment themselves, right? They tried to row to shore, but God didn't relent. God didn't remove the storm because he had his sovereign purpose set. So they cried out to him, and they did what was necessary. They did what was required. Verse 14, O Lord, this is the sailors, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. It laid not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And then in verse 15 and 16, they pick up Jonah and they hurl him into the sea. They pick him up and they hurl him into the sea. But after that, after they fulfilled the will of God, they responded in a very common way. When we experience the presence of the Lord and we understand finally when we see this God, they respond in a very common way. Suddenly, they were overcome by this emotion, by this feeling of reverence, of holy fear for the Lord of all creation. To the degree that it actually brought them into worship. To the degree that it brought them to their knees in worship of him as they made commitments to him. And they did this while Jonah sunk down into the sea where he would eventually be swallowed up by a great fish. Which we're going to talk about next week because chapter 2 is actually where the story is. And because I want to end with this. The storm is where God's grace is revealed. It's actually the storm where we see God's grace. It was the storm that was the very means that God used to awaken Jonah and to awaken the sailors to his presence and his will. It was a form of discipline for Jonah, yes. It was a form of discipline, but he did it because God loves his children and he promises to not leave us in our transgressions or iniquities. And that is grace. God challenges you and he takes you through difficult times because he wants you. That is his grace. But it was also grace towards the sailors as it was the way that he brought, as the, way that he brought out the truth to which all of creation is testifying. He used creation to testify about himself that he is the God of the Hebrews, he is the God of all nations, because he is the one who created all things. All things belong to him. He has authority over all things because, again, he created all things. And yeah, at first, these mariners, as they faced suffering and pain and, uh, and even death, Yes, at first they did turn to superficial means to try and solve their very real problem. They tried to throw off the cargo. They tried to row even faster, as hard as they could. But it wasn't the weight of their boat. And it wasn't the violence of the storm. The root of their danger was, in fact, the sin being harbored within. It was the sin that was attempting to hide down deep as possible so it wouldn't be exposed. That was their danger. That's our danger. But by his grace, the Lord brought it up into the light so it could be dealt with. Maranatha, we cannot be a church that is asleep. We must be faithful. We cannot be a church 
that is asleep. We must not be a church that neglects prayer. We must not be a church that loses interest in theology or one that claims to worship while our apathetic hearts just repeat our routines. We must not be a church that serves only ourselves as well. We must not be a church that tries to hide our sin from the Lord. We must not be a church that tries to hide our sin from the Lord while foolishly believing that we're just going to grow out of it or that it's, we're just going to get past it someday. We must bring it into the light so it can be dealt with. The storm came as a means of God's grace to reveal his love for his people. Because through it, God awakened all the men on the boat so he could reveal to them what is true about himself. So I want to ask you, what are you learning about Jesus through whatever it is that you might be going through in your life? What are you learning about Jesus? What is it that you might have tried to remove superficially without first dealing with what the Lord wanted to awaken? What is it that you're trying to handle on your own when you, in fact, need divine guidance? Listen, the Lord in his grace is a patient God, and we praise him for that. Praise God that he is patient with us. But Psalm 94 and Hebrews 12 tells us that discipline will come to those whom God loves because we belong to him, just as God's righteous and final judgment will come to those who do not belong to him. Maranatha, walking in the light is not always easy. We know this. But we do not have to do it alone. Because Christ has given us to each other. As well, we don't walk, we don't do this life without constant guidance. We don't roll the dice anymore. We don't have to do that because we now have a helper. Jesus has given us a helper. We have, in fact, his spirit so we can know what we need to know, what we must know for all of life and godliness. That is the great gift that we've been given. It's the gift that we've been given as we walk after him and follow his word. We can also remember that we are guaranteed to be his regardless of our issues regardless of the sincerity of our faith, because he is the one who is faithful, because he is making us more like himself. In our own merit, we don't deserve God's grace, but he has revealed it and he has provided it for us through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. And because of that, because of that knowledge, we can remember and Lean into the fact that God always hears and will always answer our prayers. He is always present with us because he is active over every one of our lives. Everyone in this entire world, he is active over them. He knows about them and he wants us to live for him. Maranatha, the good news of the gospel is this. We are his people, and he is our God. 
It's that simple. We are his people, and he is our God. Let's worship him. If you would, pray with me. Father, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the truth of who you are. Thank you, Lord, for the storms in our own lives and how you walk us through them, how you give us a vessel of the gospel to navigate through the difficulties that we face. Help us, Lord, to honor you as we do that with one another. And Lord, let us be the church that you have created us to be by walking through it hand in hand, worshiping you. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.